Welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm Kevin Gastola, and I'm joined by Rania Kalik. Hello, Rania. Hey, Kevin. We're so pleased to be bringing you another show. Uh, this this week, uh, we won't have a guest. And uh, at the top, as we've been doing uh, for the past weeks, we want to thank everyone. And we particularly want to thank everyone who, in the past week, have donated to this show. Um, we've seen a tremendous outpouring of support. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I like it means a lot to not only have to have like the support of a lot of people, but to just like the financial support's important because we can make the show so much better. Um, and we can put more into it. And, um, on top of that, it's been an insane past few days because I've been under like relentless attack by a bunch of crazy, insane people. <laughs> um, and I, I really do appreciate the, the support because of that. So thanks to everybody. So we're recording this uh, middle of the week. I just want to make sure that people are aware of that. And I wanted to also uh, acknowledge a comment we got from Roshan Abraham, who is a patron of the show, started donating. Thanks, Roshan. This this past week. And Roshan said, you two rock my socks, and I am so grateful (laughs) For the incredible work the two of you do, both on the podcast and in your writing, I've listened to the Ben Norton episode and the discussion portion of episode three more than once. Wow. And I'm so much better informed for doing it. I point my students to your podcast as one of the best places to get honest discussion about the Mideast crises. Keep speaking truth to power. Wow, that's really, really great to hear. That's awesome. I'm so excited that um, people are getting something out of this. Uh, we'll get to it, and we're going to spend the entire episode talking about what happened uh, with the event uh, that you had in the uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. and you were scheduled to go speak to do an evening there uh, on February 27th, uh, and you were invited by the Students for Justice in Palestine chapter, and then people who are, you know, we can talk about who they are, but to simply generalize who they are, basically they are pro-regime change, pro-Syrian rebel people who have made it their uh, agenda (laughs) to go after you. Yeah, I mean, their their broader agenda is to silence anybody who, not just me, anybody with a public platform – um, who is speaking out in any way uh, against their agenda in Syria. Uh, and so that's what this is about. And this is, I mean, this has been ongoing with me for months. This is just the most recent iteration of it. But, you know, those who have been listening to the show will remember I actually lost my job back in October because I was uh, smeared and slandered by these people when I went on a reporting trip to Syria with other reporters who weren't smeared and slandered. It was just me. Um, and we don't have to get into that again. But the point is, is this has been ongoing and it's it, it's linked to the, the entire reason is because of the fact that I was adamantly and still am adamantly against a no-fly zone in Syria. Um, and I am, you know, very much in favor of exposing um, the U.S. Uh, policy in Syria and the way it's actually made the conflict and prolonged the conflict, made the conflict worse and prolonged it. And I am vocally opposed to arming rebels who are linked to al-Qaeda, <laughs> um, which I don't think is pretty controversial, like very controversial. Because of this, I've been labeled pro-Assad and Assadist, like pro-dictator, which I've also expressed very, very strong opinions against the Syrian government and the way that it functions. Um, so I haven't in any way been an apologist at all, but it's just really easy for people to smear you on this issue when they have a lot of power. And that's the case with Syria is the people that are in favor of, the, of U.S. military intervention people who are in favor of um, overthrowing that government, they're the ones who have every, like who have the establishment on their side and who have the foreign policy um, people on their side. Who, like, they're on the side of U.S. empire. So, of course, they're the ones who are more powerful. Anyways, the point is, is that I think I'm a pretty typical like, – I'm not the only person this has happened to, but it's just been very public the way it's happened to me. But I, you know, I've become basically unemployable. Um, there's like, I can name two outlets that will publish me right now. 
And that it's because of what happened with Syria. I mean, I've been like, I, as somebody who has reported on Israel, Palestine, and who's dealt with a, a tremendous amount of backlash for that to begin with, that, that already makes you very marginal. I've never experienced anything like I have with stepping into the Syria issue. And I would also like to add that this is not some issue that's like completely out of bounds. Not that it should be in bounds for you only if you're like from the region uh, or personally affected by it. Because as Americans, we all have a stake in the Syria issue because our country has played a huge role in what's happening there. But that aside, um, Syria is a place that I have relatives in. Uh, I'm my family's from the region, you know, like I this this directly impacts me. So it's something that I care deeply about and that I'm very I have a lot of very strong, um, very strong opinions on that are based both on because I, you know, because as a human, I care, but also because of the fact that it affects me personally. And so it's just been a really shocking few days. I've never like I, I just I never it never ceases to amaze me like these people. They, it's like, it's not enough that I lost my job, that they got me like fired. Um, it, they have, it's not enough that they've made it so that I can't, I can only write for like two outlets. If even, um, it's like, I'm not even all I was doing. I was speaking at a university. I was speaking at UNC Chapel Hill. I was invited by their SJP to speak not about Syria, but about Palestine. (laughs) That was the topic of my conversation was on Palestine and how what Israel does there impacts other parts of the world, including the way that Israel trains U.S. police forces. And then those U.S. police forces come and they, they apply what they've learned there to their own policing practices. Like that, that was my, that was what I was going to talk about and inform these students about. And a a couple other things too, just, you know, like Palestine and the Trump era and stuff, but nothing about, I mean, I wasn't even talking about Syria and it, it doesn't matter. It's like, because because I'm bad at, because I'm the people don't like my views on this one issue. They, they want me to be banned from talking about anything else ever. Like I just, I'm not allowed to be employed. I'm not allowed to have a speaking engagement. I'm just like supposed to not, and not until I'm forced to change my opinion, I'm just like going to be hurt economically. And this is so absurd and this has been ongoing and I felt very isolated for the months that this has been happening. But I'm, I mean, I'm happy to at least see this time around, like, People, because I think people have just been confused by what's going on, but this time around, people are just disgusted and they're speaking out. And so I really do appreciate everybody who's offered their words of support um, and who's supported the show as a result. Because this, I mean, I cannot begin to explain to you. It's like economic, um, I mean, maybe it's like a strong way to put it, but it's like economic terrorism. Like you have people who are just threatening your livelihood to make it so that you like have to either find a different profession. Or like starve and change and, and if you don't change your if you're like don't change and, and and like conform to their political desires and it's it's just it's been so frustrating and you know I'm glad that I have people like there are journalists like Kevin you've been so supportive throughout all this you've offered me a platform at Shadow Proof but like I just can't say that's been the case for other people in positions of like editors and journalists who could have been you know, on my side here, it's been like, I've just, I, I mean, the, it's, it's been really, really shocking. The lack of solidarity, um, from people who otherwise should have known better. I don't think that we can, um, I'm not sure that we've even accurately depicted how the, the zeal that, that came out towards you. So, uh, you know, there's an individual who, uh, makes his name, uh, fashions himself with pride and glory as someone who targets people like you, uh, keeps track of the people he's able to know platform. And and when I confronted him, this is what I got in response, uh, because I wanted to know when it was going to be good enough. I wanted to know because this individual has been involved in getting you uh, – to lose your job at Electronic Intifada, he was he was um, in on that. He is someone who played a big put was pushing hard for this SJP chapter to not have you. Uh, left multiple comments, not just before but you know after congratulating SJP for making the right decision and as is relentless online and has been you know picking at you. And he said, I will never stop, not with any of you. I will never rest while you are given platforms or publishing opportunities. Uh, he, he even went so far as to say that 
He even said to me directly, you are my enemy, Kevin. You are an enemy to all mankind. May God have mercy on all of you because I won't. Like, and this guy, this is the guy who's been, like, leading the char- a lot of the charges against me. It's been him and a mix of people like him and, like, DC think tank jackasses who, like, are just, like, paid by these think tanks funded by, like, Qatar, Qatar and, like, Saudi Arabia and the Turkish military. Um the guy you're talking about, Askaterji, is he works for the TRT, which is the Turkish state-funded media outlet. Turkey has been like uh, one of the leading supporters of the jihadists in Syria. I mean, so that's I, there, there's clearly like an agenda there. Although this guy seems to actually be on that same side. I don't know if it's even that he's getting paid or that he really does agree with this stuff. This but yeah, even hides that. I will point out that if yeah. uh, if you look at the Twitter bio, it says journalist, writer, filmmaker, focus on Middle East, a former Lesbos coordinator for Help Refugees UK, and there's no mention that he gets paid by Turkish. Yeah, he's state. like one of their correspondents. He's always posting. Like, there's always videos of him you can go watch, and he um. I mean, he's just, like, probably just the most, like, ruthless and openly... He's, like, probably the most public about his campaign against me and others. But, I mean, it's so crazy, Kevin. Like, we, uh, a friend of mine, Carl, he calculated... He went and counted, like, the number of tweets this guy has tweeted just to at me. Not even tweets mentioning me, but just at me. Um, since, like, in the past seven months, since I started becoming more vocal on the issue of Syria by, like, opposing a no-fly zone so, like, so vocally and strongly... That's when he started coming after me. And um, and he's tweeted at me like over 600 times in seven months. And the I've tweeted at him like 26. <laughs> that was the comparison. It's just like that. I mean, this is like a fucking stalker, man. Like it's I mean, he's always online. Like everything I do, he like has something to say about. It's crazy. And I don't and like I don't think people really understood. And I probably didn't communicate very well, like how awful this has been and I think I felt somewhat ashamed I don't know why I just felt like I did something wrong because I'm the one who lost my job and I'm the one being attacked and I also hate being this like victim I really do like I hate I hate being this person who's just like "Mm, everyone's attacking me Mm." because I know people do that a lot and it's like it can be annoying and and sometimes and I just like don't want to be that person but like sometimes you need help like sometimes you need I mean this is like when you have forces this large coming at you you know like you just like need other people's support and so I'm I'm glad like I'm really I am also encouraged by and also behind the scenes I've just gotten the opposite of support from people who should have been supportive um people who've just been like nope sorry we can't like you know just like there's been sort of enacting a soft boycott against me because they'd rather just like boycott the Arab woman um, you know, the secular leftist Arab woman than actually have to reckon with the fact that they're appeasing and capitulating to a bunch of like religious conservatives for the most part. Um, but aside from that, I, I do want to say like, I really do appreciate all of the encouragement, like on social media and support because what's happening here is bigger than just me. It's because it, like, this is, this is what's happened is so over the weekend before my, I was supposed to speak at the SJP, um, event on Monday. Um, Today's Tuesday, so that was yesterday, right? So over the weekend, everything was fine until over the weekend, I think it was Saturday, I, on social media, um, I can't remember what provoked me, but I like I called Salafism and Jihadism, um, that I, I said they were misogynistic and bigoted, <laughs> which I didn't think was a controversial thing to say. Um, I mean, there's like, it's that's a fact, like Salafism and Jihadism or, I'm sorry, Salafism and, and Wahhabism are ultra-conservative, puritanical, um, you know, strains of Islam that are very far-right and relatively new. I mean, Islam is a 1,500-year-old religion, but these are pretty new. These are just like a couple hundred years old. And they're, sp- you know, and the, idea, the whole, these ideologies are spread by petrodollars, by Saudi Arabia and other Gulf states around the world to spread a really intolerant ideology and it's tearing the region apart. These, this is, these are the ideologies that fuel and inspire groups like ISIS and Al Qaeda, Salafi jihadist groups. They get their inspiration from Salafi and Wahhabi clerics and scholars, which 
incite explicitly incite to genocide against certain minorities and explicitly like is it, and I'm look I'm not saying everybody who's like a Wahhabi or Salafi is like a dangerous jihadist who's going to come kill you but that doesn't like it's like any I mean these are very very intolerant bigoted um ideologies and that should be you should be able to speak about that openly um and instead i was called an islamophobe for saying that and then all of these people started defending salafism especially ng and, and wahhabism and calling me an islamophobe and pointing out that i'm not even a muslim i'm just like a non-muslim arab and i have no right to talk about these things and and like of course all of the people who support the rebels in syria um the rebels in syria are Salafi jihadists. <laughs> They're either ISIS or Al Qaeda or in groups that are just clones of those organizations. And they fall on the spectrum of Salafi jihadism. That's like, that's, I mean, they say it openly. Go watch, like, you can go see their YouTube videos. And so there was sort of this, like, suddenly the next day, um, the student group that invited me got flooded with complaints uh, by the people who were pissed off that I went after Salafism and, and Wahhabism. <laughs> and, and they were calling me an anti-Muslim Assadist. Um, and it was people who were, generally speaking, um, I mean, the people who were leading the charge were people like Azka Terji, right? He was one of them. Also, other people from like Al Jazeera, living in Doha. So people who work for these like Gulf-funded um, media outlets. Um, and then other people, like I, there was like a professor who worked for some Saudi-funded... Um, Saudi funded like like professorship or like department and there are lots of Saudi Arabian funded departments at universities around the country like Georgetown has like one for Christian Muslim understanding that's funded by one of the Saudi princes his name's Adam Sabra yeah that guy I asked him for a comment and he didn't give me anything yeah like I love it how it's like these these like really well off people who are like professional they're like adults you are adults and you're pressuring a student group and mind you this is what really upsets me about this is like i'm not even really mad at the students like i'm disappointed they canceled but at the same time they organize around palestine on campus which is already a really tough place to be in right because you're already under a relentless attack from like zionist groups and you know people who are pro-israel and they have to deal with the pressure campaigns from those groups the last thing they need is to have to deal with pressure from, like, jihadist sympathizing people who, like, want to overthrow the Syrian government. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. And that's what the case, that's what's happening here is, like, I feel like on the left especially, and even among some liberals, like, right now we're at a point in time when, you know, we have someone like Trump who's in charge, and you have, like, we've, I mean, there's been discriminatory policies against Muslims since after 9-11, but under Trump, obviously, it's gotten way worse, right? You've got, like, an uptick in hate against Muslims and hate attacks, uh, and you have, like, openly discriminatory travel ban, you know, being enforced by Donald Trump, and he's promising more awful things, a very hateful, Islamophobic, like, conspiracy-minded administration. So I understand everyone is, like, wants to support the people who are being persecuted, being discriminated against. I get that. Of course, we should be in solidarity and supportive um, of Muslim, like, civil rights across the country right now. That's hugely important. That said, um, I feel like what's happening here is that the idea that there, that everything's, like, the whole issue of Islamophobia is being invoked to suppress and stifle legitimate criticism of Wahhabism at the moment. Like it's like le the legitimate left criticism of Wahhabism. It's being like, and this is like a, a, a concerted effort, a concerted campaign to suppress this sort of criticism by just saying, I mean, I've got people telling me that it's Islamophobic to call people Wahhabis. And I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about? So, I mean, I'm just like, this is what's going on. So I feel like a lot of liberals and progressives are confused. They don't want to be seen as like hurting Muslims, obviously. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't be hurting Muslims. But like, you guys, I am from this region of the world, okay? Like, I'm Arab. I am from a minority sect. My family is Druze, all right? I've got people like, like the, the, the ideologies I'm talking about literally call, like one of the most uh, quoted and beloved scholars of Salafists, of like Salafism, um, this guy Ibn Tamea, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Like his, like if it, like it's like he's got all. There's all this like you know, um, he's like this guy from like the 14th or like from the 1400s, um, and he's like the Wahhabists love him, the Salafists love him. I mean, in his own texts, like he literally says that you should be killing the Druze, 
like exterminating them because like kill them wherever you find them. Um, and that you should be enslaving their women. Like I have every right to speak out against an ideology that literally calls for my death and or enslavement. And not only is it like a hypothetical, because I know like religious texts have a lot of bullshit in them. Like, you know, like the Bible has really fucked up shit in them. This is not even the Quran we're talking about. We're just talking about like a, a recent scholar, okay, that is, um, that is held up as like really important among this certain subsect of like uh, these certain ideologies. And this is in practice being done by ISIS. Like ISIS, this is the literature that ISIS is turning to, to... Um, legitimize its practices, its conduct against the Yazidi, you know, like against the Shia, against Sunnis who don't conform to their warped backwards version, um, puritanical idea of what every Sunni Muslim should behave like. So it's doing so much harm to the region. And I have every right to criticize these ideologies. Like, do not tell me that I don't have the right to criticize an ideology that calls for my extermination. Like, it would be like telling... um, black people in America, that they have no right to criticize the white nationalists that inspired Dylan Roof. Like, (laughs) that's the equivalent in the U.S. And so I feel like people need to see it that way. Um, I'm sorry, I'm like dominating, Kevin. You probably have something to say. uh, No, I wanted to have, uh, I want to bring in this question from someone who is a loyal listener and patron of our show. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we've said his handle before, Burrito Loco. Uh, he put this uh, very thoughtful question together. It's it's a question slash comment uh, that was emailed to us, and I want to read it here. So uh, he said, "You guys were discussing Wahhabism and Salafism recently, and saying that liberals need to stop being afraid of being critical of these movements." I agree, but I noticed that people on Twitter have accused you of being Islamophobic in general, even though you only were talking about the most extreme Muslims. So he's talking about what we just said a few minutes ago. He says, I can't stand Sam Harris. He is a true Islamophobe, but he often tries to frame himself like he's only talking about the worst Muslims and not moderates, but then later is critical of moderates or implies criticisms of moderates. I'm asking how can we actually talk about Wahhabism or Salafism without falling into the same pitfalls that new atheists fall into? Also, do non-Arabs or people with Christian or Jewish backgrounds even have space to talk about these matters? I'm white, and I believe that Wahhabism and Salafism are despicable, and we can't think that even if we weren't oppressing them, that they would instantly be reasonable people. But I feel like it's not my place to lecture people about whom I'm generally ignorant and live on the other side of the world. Also, I believe that if people criticize Wahhabism and Salafism, they should do so without demonizing people stuck in these sects only by circumstance. Glenn Greenwald has raised the point before that people who follow Sharia law are not necessarily terrorists and should not be attacked. Do you feel like we should also be using that disclaimer in regard to Wahhabists and Salafists? So there's three questions there. Uh, and each of them are somewhat important, if not really relevant to what we're saying here. Maybe you start with that last one. Um, about- yeah, I know. I, that's a really, I mean, that's an excellent point. So, of course, people are, it's all by circumstance, right? Like, if you were growing up in Nazi Germany, um, you know, if you're, like, growing up and being indoctrinated into Nazism, then you're, like, a Nazi by circumstance. It's not like you got to really choose to be a Nazi. You didn't have much of a choice, right? So, like, people in Saudi Arabia... And then then that's to be clear, like not everybody in Saudi Arabia likes Wahhabism, but they just don't have a choice in the matter. Um, Saudi Arabia is a very tyrannical government and uh, Wahhabism is it's like it's it's, it really I would compare it to like the like a far right. It's like fascism where um, it's all about purity. It's all about purifying the race, although in this in this instance, it's about purifying the religion. So you purify the religion into like everybody has to behave a certain way and be a certain kind of Muslim. And anybody who's not is like a blasphemer who could be put to death or like is like, um, you know, somebody who should be like discriminated against or somebody who should be killed or stoned or, you know, whatever. Um, so I would compare it to fascism. And of course, again, like I, I there are people in Saudi Arabia who are like the bravest people in the world, because if there's anywhere where you can't be a, like where it's like being a dissident is like deadly, it's Saudi Arabia. <laughs> um, not an easy place to be a dissident. So, of course, we shouldn't just like paint everybody in Saudi Arabia as like some evil Wahhabi. 
they don't really have much of a choice. Even if they do buy into it, they're also like victims of being indoctrinated, right? That said, I would uh, push back against the idea that these people are being oppressed by the by us, because if anybody has been supported in the Middle East, it has been um, Salafists and Wahhabists. It has been far right religious fundamentalists, and this is something. This is a history that some people are sort of aware of and maybe understand a little bit, like with regard to Afghanistan, but it goes further back than that. Um, Wahhabism itself has always had the support of the Brit of the British Empire. Always. Like, I mean, the, this, these are not ideologies that are popular in the region. I mean, they wouldn't be popular anywhere. There's a reason that you have to impose, um, like, a regime of really terror and complete and, like, like brutal um, sorts of violence to, to force people to, to, like, to bow to your every, like, to, to this ideology. It's not popular. People don't want it. <laughs> Um, Al Qaeda, which follows a similar ideology, just like has a slight difference with, uh, you know, the Saudi style Wahhabism. Um, they have to impose themselves in the areas that they take over in the Middle East and people hate them. They are not they have they don't have roots in the region. People like th that's something you have to understand. There's a reason that these groups have to have to carry out extreme violence um, to get their way. Same with ISIS. And so that's why I find it hard calling them the victims, because they are actually the products of U.S. and Saudi imperialism in the region. Um, the actual victims of the U.S., like the real true victims of the U.S., and of, uh, are, are the people who are being killed by these groups. And yes, every so often, like every, there's like a turn and the U.S. is like, okay, now we're going to kill the jihadis. You know, that's like they, they, they go back and forth. But I mean, overall, and I want to start, I will take you back to the 1950s. I mean, this, this for the U.S., when the U.S. took over the British empire, you know, basically, um, after World War II, uh, in Egypt, the U.S. allied itself with the Muslim Brotherhood. It actually used Muslim, the Muslim Brotherhood as an asset of the CIA against Arab nationalism, which is secular, and against Arab uh, leftist, leftist movements, against um, communism, because at the time the U.S. was in the Cold War mentality and feared that, you know, anything secular uh, would be supported and would immediately align with the Soviet Union. So they were like, let's go with the religious nuts. That's what they did. They didn't care. The Muslim Brotherhood was committing violence at the time. They didn't care. Um, the Muslim Brotherhood was committing terrorist acts at the time in the region. They didn't care, especially in Egypt. Um, so that's, that's where it kind of starts with the U.S. love affair with Islamic fundamentalists, I guess you could say. And it, it, the, the Muslim Brotherhood back then was supported by Saudi Arabia, um, friend to the U.S. and the region because of an insane amount of oil they have. Uh, they, have they were lucky enough to, like, conquer an area that has so much oil in it. Um, so then, you know, you fast forward a few decades and these groups are managed to beat, like, beat back um, a lot of Arab nationalism and to beat back Arab leftism. And it's like – and then you've got, like, the, we're in, like, the 70s um, and then Afghanistan starts to be an issue, right? And um, in Afghanistan, the U.S. wanted to, like, basically give give the Soviets their version of Vietnam. And so what did it do? It uh, supplied an insane amount of weapons and money and funding and training and support in partnership with Saudi Arabia and the Pakistani intelligence services to the Mujahideen. Um, and these groups, these were, like— these were Salafi jihadists, right? These were jihadist groups that wanted to, and these they included a lot of foreign fighters, very similar to Syria. Like it basically, I mean, my parents actually have this funny story. Well, it's not so funny when you think about it. So my family's not Muslim, but our last name, our full last name is Abdul Kalik, which sounds pretty Muslim. And so my family, my mom tells me she like remembers getting these letters in the mail asking, um, you know, to support your Muslim brothers and sisters in fighting the Afghan um, jihad uh, with your donations. <laughs> like, so, like, people were able to use the U.S. Federal Postal Service to solicit donations for the Afghan um, jihad to, to get rid of the communists and the socialists and the leftists and, and the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. And the CIA knowingly funneled the most money to the most belligerent psychopaths. One in particular, um, Golbadin Hechtemeyer, uh, is a guy who's like famous. He, he actually, he, he was a rising star among jihadists. He, uh, and when he was at Kabul university before the, um, Mujahideen stuff started, he would throw, um, 
he was like notorious for throwing acid in the faces of unveiled women. That's the kind of people that the CIA knowingly empowered in Afghanistan. And it brought people from all over the world. For the first time, you had like this pan-Islamic idea that we've all got to go fight, you know, this Islamic cause to build an Islamic state. The U.S. was like they, these people were portrayed as freedom fighters at the time. Everybody, the, all the human rights organizations were like pro Mujahideen. All like all of them. It's insane because um, I've gone back and like read the coverage, and everybody loved them. Um, and then the thing is that their ideology was based on Wahhabism. It was based on the same understanding of like the way you know the whole purity idea of Muslim, of what it means to be Muslim, and sort of imposing this like reign of terror to get your way. Um, the Taliban follows a similar ideology, and they rose out of like the madrasas, the basically the Islamic schools in in Pakistan and like the refugee camps where Afghan children were. That's like ten years later. That's that's sort of where the Taliban came from, and they follow a similar school of thought, which is called Diobandi. Um, and it's like a South Asian version of Wahhabism, I guess you could say very, very similar in its beliefs. And, um, and so, yeah, they, then the Taliban imposed their will and it actually like the U S uh, supported the Taliban at first. They actually recognized them as a legitimate government. I mean, it's insane when you go back and read all this. The point is, is that it wasn't until this started backfiring on Americans where like you had Al Qaeda form, you know, bin Laden, our former guy in, in Afghanistan, suddenly becomes our enemy because like the thing about the ideas of wahhabism is that they're an, it's an expansionist idea and so you've got people like who take it to the extreme um not everybody does but there are people who do and that's like bin laden and um and, you know Ayman zawahiri the uh, now the head of al-qaeda uh these people after the mujahideen in afghanistan was over and they basically like you know won um they decided they wanted to make their jihad global and they wanted to target the in you know the liberal west um, and so they basically ended up targeting their former benefactors. And that's why you had these terrorist attacks in the nineties, um, the first world trade center attack. And then you get to, and like the, you get, and these are all former CIA assets who are doing this shit, by the way, <laughs> like, and then you get to, sorry, I'll make it brief, like to simplify things. Then you get to 2001, you have nine 11, right? And it's like these, that's the, the, it's the group. It's the group that was literally formed. The Al Qaeda is what the Mujahideen morphed into after the, you know, after the war in Afghanistan was over. Although it was never really over because there was just like an insurgency that continues till, the, till this day. Then we destroyed that country and no one even cares that we did. Like it used to be a normal country where like women had rights and stuff and now they don't. But anyways, the point is, is that then Al Qaeda did 9-11 and everybody like nobody knows any of this has been going on. So everybody's like, why are these Muslims so crazy? And then suddenly Al Qaeda gets like associated with all Muslims. And but Saudi Arabia is like basically, you know, um, protected from being, you know, blamed, even though it's their ideology that did this. <laughs> and in some ways, some of them were involved, apparently. So the point is, is that um, then over the past like decade, you know, we had the war on terror and it seemed like any, especially anybody who's a millennial, like we are, it can be confusing because our whole lives we've been like, we've really been like per given this, this portrayal of like the jihadists are being constantly attacked by the U S like we don't have any of this un historical understanding of like, these are the people that we made, you know, these were our friends and now they're just our enemy for right now. And so the thing is, is we've gone full circle. So we're back to the jihadists being our friends in Syria, even though sometimes the U.S. will hit Al Qaeda. Um, we basically empower them. And I've explained that on past shows. But that the reason I go into all this detail uh, with the question is because this is why I have a hard time looking at like the Salafi jihadist groups as oppressed. Maybe the people in them, the underlings that sort of do all, like that sort of end up dying in suicide attacks and stuff. Maybe you could see them as just being sort of like misguided youth who were misguided by really nasty people. But the leaders of these movements who are like riling people up to this, I, they are not oppressed. I'm sorry. Like they can kiss my ass. Actually, please don't. They like they they can go fuck themselves because they are they have they're a bunch of motherfuckers who like are mostly elites themselves. Like Bin Laden. I'm sorry. The guy was like from a billionaire family, like who has some construction firm in Saudi Arabia. Give me a break. That guy had so much money. Nothing oppressed about him. I don't care. And this is what I love about these Al Qaeda characters is they've also we've become convinced that they're just responding to U.S. foreign policy grievances. These guys will mention Hiroshima. 
I'm not joking. Like, they'll mention Palestine. They'll mention Iraq. They'll mention all of these things that the U.S. has done, which is so messed up. But, like, they're not even the victims of these things. At the end of the day, they're just using these different grievances as an excuse to carry out, like, insane atrocities. And they're doing it not just against the West. They do it in Iraq, where they blow up Shia mosques. They do it in Pakistan, when, like, they blow up, like, you know, Sufi shrines. They are destroying these like these cultures to try and impose their will of this like puritanical version of what they think islam should be and in a lot of cases they are funded by the america's one of america's number one allies in the region and that's saudi arabia and so the point is is that these people are not victims and this is what makes me this is where sam harris gets it wrong because he wants to characterize all muslims in the region and all Arabs as potentially like these people. And they're not. They are the victims of these people. And we are the ones who support these people. Like, that that needs to be understood. Yes, we were fighting them in Iraq, but we supported them in Syria. You know? And we've created Al-Qaeda's biggest affiliate in history. We facilitated the rise of ISIS in Syria. And and like that's not nobody like wants to talk about that. So these these are not our these are not American enemies. They're American enemies when it behooves like the weapons industry to come up with another reason to go to war because then we can just go fight ISIS somewhere. But at the, but when it comes down to is that these are always products of American empire and Saudi imperialism and. We have to start seeing it that way so we can be on the right side of the right people. And that's not Sam Harris. And that's not the right wing in this country. It's not the new atheist. The right people to be on the side of are Arabs who are suffering under this shit. Are Arab leftists who are being called. Like I'm seeing people uh, calling Arab leftists. Like they're saying the Arab left is Islamophobic. Like what? What? Like what does that even mean? Like there, there are Muslims and Arabs of different backgrounds on the front lines of fighting these groups. Okay, and like they, they don't like Wahhabism. They don't like the Salafi jihadist groups. Like it's I don't know how else to explain it. Like I feel like I'm talking in circles, and I I don't know if that answered the full question. But I guess one thing I will add is I think the way you should think about this is this. As a white person in this country, if you're a white person and you're scared to like, you know, you want to say you want to criticize these things, but you're scared to because of the identity issue, you have every right to because America funds it like America funds Wahhabism like we we are complicit in this shit. So it doesn't matter what color American you are or what background you you come from. At the very least, you have every single right to be against this. And beyond that, not only are we funding it, but it's coming back to actually hurt us you know like 9-11 through trump trump would not be president if there hadn't been a 9-11 okay like the the 9-11 like was like a freaking asteroid that hit america and like just like changed the course of history um and it's it's driven us it's, it's led us to this path towards fascism and that's where we're at the refugee crisis in syria is a result of the u.s prolonging that war by arming who arming jihad salafi jihadists that's what the u.s did and it prolonged the war and created the next generation of al-qaeda and not not because people are oppressed and sad and they're going to join al-qaeda now there's a lot of people the u.s has oppressed in the middle east including my own relatives but they're they're not in al-qaeda like they're, they're not engaging in the same kind of blowback that al-qaeda engages in because it's an ideological issue that, that the U.S. supports. That's, that's my point here, is that the U.S. is complicit in the, um, in the spread of Wahhabism, and that's what needs to stop. So you should absolutely have a right to speak out about that, and that's how it needs to be framed. Because Sam Harris wants to paint all of us as backwards, regressives, you know, regressive, like, brown people. But there's a 1,500-year-long history of Islam. And it's not until the last two or 300 years that these particular ideologies have even been created. Okay. So like these are relatively new and they've constantly received the backing of the West. And so I guess my point is, is that if you want to be in solidarity with people in the region, um, you don't do it by supporting these bullshit ideas about like Salafi jihadists just having like foreign policy grievances. You do it by, you know, looking at what the underlying issue is here. And that is the U S using the U.S. and Saudi Arabia using this Wahhabi ideology to inspire people to do the empire's dirty work for the empire. So that's my spiel. (laughs) There's two things that I would add to that. Uh, First is uh, there's a author of this book that I could not recommend more to other people. In fact, 
I would like to have this author on our show at some point, but his name is Mike Davis, and he wrote a book called Buddha's Wagon, A Brief History of the Car Bomb. Hmm. First to lighten things up, one of the things that I I have done, I I read most of this book while riding public transit here in Chicago. Oh, wow. All right. That's an interesting setting. And, uh... I just want to say that, like, I and felt like... Title, was, and that's the title? Like, people could see the title? People could see that... It, <laughs> see that I was reading about car bombs that's while I was fun. riding Chicago trains. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I don't know, I just thought, like, I was really engaged in this, like, bold expression of freedom by reading a book like that on 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 the Free, train freedom uh, of the white man you can read about car bombs on a train yeah and then uh, i suppose that might be offensive to people i might hear about this on twitter later about how i was abusing my white privilege by reading a book I about doubt car people bombs. Who, i doubt people who listen to this show are easily offended <laughs> but um that was just a thought i had while i was reading this this ex- exceptional book that um is is about 10 years old uh but uh there's this guy that you mentioned um, he- Heck Machiar yeah. is, me- is mentioned in here, and I, and I did want to. He's a busy man. I, I did want to make uh, a big point about the fact that you know this really is what you're saying is true that it's a, a theology of violence that was adopted and embraced by him and uh, these these Pashtun brigade, brigades that mm-hmm. are were involved in. Um, untold amounts of bloodshed. And in fact, Mike uh, compares uh, Osama bin Laden and people like him to Herman Goering and Curtis LeMay, who uh, Herman Goering being uh, a head Nazi, um, and then also Curtis LeMay being someone from the United States who was involved in carpet bombings of people in uh, the World War II. And, and, And basically the fact that, you know, he would engage in all sorts of these bombings, set off car bombs, set off these kinds of explosives, knowing full well that children were going to die, knowing full well that there were going to be lots of body parts scattered everywhere, but that everyone in some way, because they're a part of society, because they're part of this culture that they see as uh, vile or, or, or not um, as uh, pure, not pure as they are. Yeah. Not as pure as they are that, that, Basically, all the dead are assumed to be um, unpure, impure um, when they carry out the attacks. That's and why then you can you, kill them. Yeah, and then you sort out the carnage later. If there happens to be innocence there, then that's... Well, you know, the innocence to them, though, the innocence yeah. just mean that people that are like Salafis like them. <laughs> but, it, but in some way, you could always hold people responsible who are dead, which is not very dissimilar from the way that we approach drone casualties here in the United States. You know, you start from the idea that people are evil and then you let them posthumously try to prove that they were uh, not uh, terrorists. And how do you do that from the dead? Uh, good question. Um, it's it's virtually impossible um, to prove that you aren't a terrorist when you're dead. Right, but what I'm saying is that the ideology you're talking, you're, you're absolutely right. It's just what I'm saying is that it's okay, it's okay to kill children under under this ideology that that, that um or like was un, you know believed in it's okay to kill children who like might be of a different sect or might not be considered like the right kind of sunni i guess like, oh, yeah. so that's that's the thing like it's so they 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 don't matter and so it is okay. It's like the, it's okay to target those civilians, and that's why Muslims are, of course, the biggest victims of these groups. Um, but that's a really, really excellent point. And I think that Kevin mentioned uh, when we were when he we were interviewing him on our last show. Not Kevin. I just called Ben Kevin. Sorry, it's a white thing. I just get it mixed up. White, white, white men. Whatever. <laughs> You're all the same. Um, no. So I Ben mentioned that. Um, Hekmediar, he used to like go and uh, behead teachers in front of the school children <laughs> uh, because this was like in protest of w- girls and boys going to school together. Like this is a really backwards ideology and it has a lot in common with the sort of like things that are typical of fascism. And that what I mean by that is like trying to go back to a golden age. That's like a big part 
Um, and that's why the far right's so creepy because they're all like, we want to go back to like America first and when America was great. You know, they want to bring things back to a great time with the Salafi and, and Wahhabi ideology. You, the idea is to go back to Muhammad's time, right? The other thing is that a lot of people think with these groups that when uh, we're engaged in these wars, um, that, that, that we're the occupiers and that the way that they are going to build power in those countries against occupying forces, whether we're talking, you know, Saudi-backed coalition forces or if the U.S. is involved or if the U.S. actually deployed troops to that country, any any country in the Middle East that we've been in in the last 20 to 30 years, that, in fact, what al-Qaeda is doing or did was mobilizing people in defense of communities using the United States as an as its excuse to um, build its power, but there's also that's not entirely, no, accurate, not entirely accurate because in many cases they are very sectarian in the way that they're actually mobilizing people against these different factions. Um, you know, like that, that that we've talked about on the show, correct? Yeah. So, like in Iraq, you actually had two. So the U.S. man, the U.S. really fucked up in Iraq. Um, aside from the illegal invasion aspect of it, like if if you're gonna do an occupation. Like, the U.S. did it in the worst imaginable way. Like, it's, like, just, like, the most reckless. And I don't even know that there's probably not a good way to do an occupation. There isn't. There's not a good way to do a military occupation. It's always going to be violent and bad. But, I mean, just, like, the most inept, destructive way imaginable is what the U.S. did in Iraq. They put in place... First of all, they removed the government, right? They, like, forcibly removed the government, disbanded the military. Then... Who did they put in power? They installed a, like, an Islamist Shiite, like, these Islamist Shiite exiles who were, who had no popular support in the country. Even among the, like, even among the majority Shiite groups, like, Shiite, among the majority Shia population in Iraq, they didn't, they weren't popular because they were exiles. Like, they didn't live in the country. And so what you had is you had sort of, like, I, I you know, yes, like, it opened the, the when the floodgates to Al-Qaeda in Iraq were opened and jihadists from around the world like flooded to especially the region flooded to iraq um they were very sectarian and they like you know were killing shia like they were basically just like anti-shia death squads and then you also had shia groups you also had some sunni groups so that wasn't like just to be clear there were sunni groups that were just like trying to defend their neighborhoods and stuff it wasn't all al-qaeda but like people weren't happy with al-qaeda like it's not like like they imposed themselves they weren't there to just protect the population they imposed themselves beyond that um there also was shia groups that rose up that also fought the u.s invasion as well as fighting Al Qaeda in Iraq, so like that's so that's what I mean. So it's not that it's not quite like we like to say. Like there's all you know, like the ISO's big thing. They think that like Al Qaeda in Iraq, we don't like their ideology, but they were protecting. They were just like fighting the occupier. And it's like no, they were actually like killing Iraqis. <laughs> like that's the weird thing. That's why it was a civil. It became a civil war in Iraq because you had this like sectarian like death squads kind of on both sides, but. Um, the Al Qaeda one is the more eliminationist genocide. That's, that that one's actually got like a campaign of genocide they want to en- enact. <laughs> yeah, and in uh, fact, before Zarqawi was even in Iraq, as uh, Mike Davis points out in this book, uh, the person who was responsible for uh, really bringing the car bomb into Iraq was Dr. Iyad Alawi, um, who is uh, was a CIA uh, backed. Huh. Person. Look at that. Isn't that funny how that always happens? So on a on a side note, I you just reminded me I wanted to mention uh just you really should listen to our episode with um with Ben, which was our last episode, because he I, I mean he talks about how in Libya a CIA backed warlord that helped overthrow Gaddafi um is now implementing a travel ban on like women over or under the age of sixty uh are now under guardianship law like in Saudi Arabia and they can't travel by themselves. So, I want to make one point as we wrap this uh, show, and again, thanks to everyone who has supported us and, and shown great support through the past week, uh, not only for Rania, but also for uh, the show and believing in the show and believing in its potential. Uh, something I really want to put out there from me, you know, rather than making some bold statement um, 
in defensive view, uh, which which I which I could rather than grandstanding. I think what's more important is to maybe give people a way that I think they could effectively challenge what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And I, I I fervently believe in this uh, that if you are uh, on uh, social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter, with those being the most prominent and most likely platforms where you're going to see. Rania attacked, um, or if it, it doesn't even have to be Rania, it could be somebody else. If you see somebody else getting attacked for similar things, what you really should do, if you see somebody being called an Assadist apologist, if you see somebody being called a propagandist, and it involves what we've discussed on this episode, challenge them to give you specifics. Yeah. Challenge them to actually provide a quote from Rania or these other people who are engaged in professional work. If they don't give you specifics, then you know you you need to make that clear to people that they don't have anything. They and they most likely will ignore you. They most likely will move on. If or they'll say the favorite. Uh, Sorry, but it's not my job to educate you, which is my favorite answer. But anyway, but this is important to showing everyone that they don't really have anything yeah. and that they're just making an argument. And, and what we need to admit is that they are engaged in a debate that they are struggling to win mm-hmm. and they feel the struggle and rather than do more work to articulate their side. Um, and, and in particular, rather than do more to explain why we need to support the Syrian rebels who include jihadists, rather than doing more work to sell us on supporting these jihadists, they know that that's a losing deal. And so they're just going to demonize and silence people like you. Yeah, no, that's a great a great way to put it. And um, I to what Kevin said, uh, I do want to add for anybody that does want to have a better understanding of the U.S. like relationship with um, with these kinds of groups that I was just laying out this whole episode. There's a really great book that I recommend. Um, it's called Devil's Game: How the United States Helped Unleash Fundamentalist Islam. It's by Robert Dreyfus, who writes for The Nation. Um, I mean, my, my one the one thing I'll say about it is I don't think it necessarily gets the um, I think it. I think it. it uh, what it says about Hamas and Hezbollah, I don't actually necessarily agree with, because I think that those issues are a little bit different. Um, but so it's not perfect. But I think it does give a really good rundown of uh, the U.S. Um, collaboration with the kinds of people that we're supposed that like Donald Trump thinks, you know, all Muslims are. <laughs> uh, on that note. Um, Thank you so much, everybody, for all your support, and thank you for listening. And, I mean, I really do encourage you, if you like the show, um, if you can, if you're able to, please do become a member on Patreon because we really we want to make the show even better. Um, we want to offer, like, also some exclusive content for those who do donate. Um, we have to build it first, so that requires some resources. So please – and it's also a way to support Kevin's journalism and my journalism as well. Um, by different means, I guess. So please consider, you know, contributing. And uh, I guess, Kevin, we're off next week. Yeah, we'll be back in two weeks. Two weeks. All right, so see you guys in two weeks.